and welcome to Undercover Dad, a podcast that looks at 1970s Detroit through the experiences of an undercover ATF agent. I'm your host, Joe Vince, and assistant editor with Officer Magazine. This podcast is a time capsule that provides a snapshot of what it was like to be in law enforcement and work undercover in a major U.S. city over 50 years ago. We'll see how far police work has come in that time, and if we're doing our job right, we hope you're able to take away a few lessons that you can apply to your work in the field today. This is also a passion project for me because the undercover agent providing those firsthand experiences happens to be my dad, Joe Vince Jr. Back in the 1970s, he was an agent just beginning his nearly 30-year career with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. They hadn't added explosives to the name yet, working first in Detroit and then in Flint, Michigan. During his time with the agency, he also worked in Omaha, Nebraska, Washington, D.C., Miami, and Chicago. He helped create ATF's Crime Gun Analysis Branch and became its first chief before retiring. Currently, he teaches at Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and he is also the president of Crime Gun Solutions, a company he co-founded. With the introductions out of the way, let's jump right into things. Coming back to where we started on this, um, you know, you have to be a good undercover agent. One of the keys being able, you know, having to be yourself where I guess um, did you set up the line as far as how you were able to separate um, work and home? And have that uh, a very unique work-life balance. Well, it was your mother that set the line because there was a, a decorum that we were going to have in the house, and that was it. And if I slipped and said a foul word, that was it. We we don't talk like that here. You leave that outside, you know. And 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 that's what you, that's what you need somebody to to. Um, give you that dope slap that says this is you're not that's not real this is real here and uh and 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 you know i i give wives of of people in law enforcement all the credit in the world because they deserve it they have to they have to go through a lot um just because uh you know there were times i missed birthday parties um certainly when i was um, uh, a deputy sheriff uh, you know uh, they would let us eat dinner and I would, would eat the, the Christmas dinner, but that, and if I got a call, I had to go. And, mm -hmm. and that happened a lot, a, a lot of holidays. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's not easy, but if, if you're, you're dedicated to what you do and, and I don't think people sometimes really understand what that means. And yet I think other people do when they see what law enforcement does. I, I noticed uh, there was an explosion and when I was a deputy sheriff, there was an explosion in a titanium plant in Warren. And uh, I went there and uh, everybody was, was leaving and we were going in there because we heard there were four other people, four, four other workers that hadn't come out and trying to find them and see if they were alive. And unfortunately they weren't, but uh, you know, we didn't get done until, and that happened in the evening hours and geez, it wasn't until six or seven in the morning till we were going home. 
and um, we went to have a breakfast and there were some workers in there and a uh, guy came over. He said, I saw what you guys did. He said, I, I don't know how you did it, but uh, man, we really appreciate it. They bought our breakfast. So I, I, that's the problem. I think a, a lot of what uh, people see police do, they don't see what they do every day. And it's not the heroic, just the heroic things. It's, it's all the things dealing with people's worst days of their life and trying to make it better. And mm -hmm. of course that doesn't make a TV show that doesn't make the media and that doesn't, but that's what they do every day. And it's on holidays too. It doesn't stop. Where I get, I get, you said you're, you know, you have, there's this dedication and I, um, and I think that was a good example, I guess. Where does that come from? Like, what, um, what, what drives you? What drove you? What, um, what was that motivating factor to be dedicated to that job? Uh, you know, as opposed to deciding to do something else. I, I think it's the way you're raised. I, I definitely do it, and, and uh, I think you get it from your family. Uh, my both my mother and father but it's it's that feeling of uh you know wanting to see justice and um the other thing is uh i always feel for the victims the victims of crimes that's horrible i i because i've worked with firearms violence so long and even to this day and having to meet parents who have lost not one but two children to being shot I, I I don't know how they can get, go on and the suffering that, that happens. Uh, and it, we see it all the time. Everybody does. I mean, uh, living in the DC metropolitan area, I mean, here just a week ago, a good 13 year old boy is out raking leaves. Right. And somebody comes by and shoots and kills them. Yeah. I mean, that just, that's what does it. There has to be justice for those people because if there's not, there's not closure for them. And as horrible as the crime is, it's even worse if it has to go on and there's no closure for them. Is it, so in a lot of respect, I mean, if, how do I want to put it? It, it, it? It's to those victims that you're working for, for lack of a better word, it, it, whether they, whether um, they're alive or whether it's, or if they're not, it's their family or, or even just like you said, the justice uh, of wanting to make sure that that is done for them. Exactly. I, I think all people in law enforcement uh, want to be the good guy mm -hmm. and be there for other people. You really, you really, really live for that. Um, I saw a video just last week with two Kansas city police officers who were dispatched to a home with a, a four month year old premature child that had uh, stopped breathing and they got yeah. into the house right away and uh, resuscitated the, the child. And the child was so small. I mean, the officer held him in one hand, her in one hand. And uh, uh, it was very interesting because the officer said, one of the two officers said, this is a, a career highlight for us to be able to do this. And the other officer said it was so meaningful for me because I had a premature child. And I think that's what, what the public doesn't see 
with with these officers that you know they they're just like them they just want to be good guys though we, we want to be there for others and i think that's that's what it, if you don't have that don't get in this job uh because that that's the only reason to do it there isn't any other reason to do it did you um i guess in some ways see um yourself or, or, or parts of your life um, when you were working these cases that you could relate um, to the, the, the people who were, who were affected um, by what was going on. Oh uh, yeah. There was a, many times, not, not only in undercover, but in, in the bombing investigations uh, where people were killed. Uh, there was one in 81, which afterwards the federal uh, statutes on arson came about uh that I was the uh, resident agent in charge and up there with, you know, that scene where, where three firemen uh, died uh, of an arson fire. The the floor collapsed in this chicken factory and, and uh, they couldn't get them out in time and their lungs burned up. Mm. And so, yeah, you know, you, you see that all the time. And, um, you know, I, uh, at one time in my career, I was a team leader for the, one of ATF's uh, national response team in the Southeast region. And what got me is that we would come in there usually the next day, uh, and the team would get together to investigate it. And I would bring in the first responders and, you know, I'm being very conscious, be cautious because I want to protect my people, but I know that they were the first on the scene. And when I start seeing blistering on arms and lung problems, I know that there's something wrong there and I've got to figure it out. So that when, when, when my uh, uh, male and female agents go in there that, you know, we're going to have the right protection for them, but those guys, they didn't get anything, you know, mm -hmm. they, they just got on the scene. So yeah, you can, you can really, really feel justice is served then it's it's more than locking up the bad guy it's turning to other people who are in the courtroom crying uh when the sentencing occurs that you know you've done something well how did you how were you able to handle what you were seeing on the job and making sure it wasn't spilling over into your home life um, that it wasn't having a, a negative effect. Well, you know, there were some times that the things that bothered me the most were when I was seeing children abused mm -hmm. and your mother knew when I walked in the door, it was all over my face. And, you know, so I, and I think, being able to talk to her and I, I wouldn't tell her everything that was going on, but that helped. Uh, the other thing that helps is having um, other agents and officers around you that you can talk to about things because uh, communication is important. You need to communicate when you do have problems. Now um, there are uh, chaplains uh, that are most police agencies have and counselors uh, and different programs that weren't back there in the 1970s at all. You, hey, you're a cop, you're a tough guy, you're supposed to handle this. And and in reality, that's not true. I mean, we're, we're human beings like everybody else. And so that's, um, 
you know, I, I, I really learned from, I learned from a grandfather, uh, the time that, that I was wounded, um, you know, he kept talking to me and talking to me and, and, you know, working, working that through, uh, and that's, that's had a lot to do with, uh, successfully navigating that and moving on. Well, that's what I was going to say is, is, or ask is, is how much did you, um, talk to grandpa outside of being your dad? He, he also, was in law enforcement so it, it it wasn't an outsider so to speak it it was someone who who understood uh a bit of what what might have been going on with you um you know what what were the the types of things you 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 talked to him about yeah i could i could you know it was obviously uh he was from a smaller city police department but you know, we could relate to a lot of different things and we would have conversations about things that were going on. Uh, and, you know, he, he never wanted to meddle or anything along that line. Uh, but he, he knew when I needed to be, that I needed to talk and he would, he would talk to me about these things and, and let me know, um, uh, what was right, what was wrong. Um, you know, what was, the BS that was coming out of something and he just put it straight and mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, let, let me know that th there is the end of this tunnel. This is what you're going to have to go through. And when you don't experience something or you do for the first time, you don't, you're, you're in the middle of the tunnel and you don't see the light and you, you have to have somebody guide you through it. And at that time, I, I don't think that people really talked about or at least use these words of like a, a support system and how important that is uh, for people to have, to, you know, to be able to, um, to talk about these things and uh, whether it's a professional or whether it's, it's friends, it's family partners or, or things like that. Um, and so for you, was it, it you felt like you did have a natural um, support system already in place just with family and, and, um, and good partners to be able to talk to. Yeah, I was very fortunate. I not only had my father, but I had some excellent friends uh, that were in law enforcement that to this day I, I talk to, and uh, we've always been there for each other. And, that, and that's meant a lot. And, and that's what really gets you through. It's your family and your friends. And uh, again, you, you can't not talk to anybody and let this just fester in you. And you, mm -hmm. and, you know, now they do offer uh, counseling and, and programs for that. And I think that's important too, because and it's just not things that happen on the job. People face hardships in their lives. Uh, and then next they have to go back to work and do this. And when you're dealing with the public and, uh, you have to be at your best and uh, they, they have to be there to support you to make sure you are, or get you into an, a position for a, a time that, okay, you can do this until you're ready to go back on the street or go back to doing whatever you were doing. Did, um, did you ever have, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Did seeing what you saw, 
um, working undercover, did you have second thoughts about being in law enforcement? No, that I can't ever remember thinking I wanted to do anything else, but that, that that's just, uh, that's, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and even when I decided to retire and do something else, it was because I felt I had to move on um, because the, the times have changed and, and uh, that I could benefit society um, better by doing my consulting work and my teaching work. And, and uh, so th that, that was, but I, but I still, st it stayed into law enforcement and into those issues. And, uh, your father, your, your grandfather told me um, before he died to, to keep doing that because if you save one cop's life, then it's been all worth it. And that's resonated with me all the time. And so, um, and and I think everybody in law enforcement too has to know there's time to, to, to pass the torch. And I see that with some of my students, I'm passing the torch to them. They're going to be the ones that take up the cause and to do the right things. Well, I just like to go on the record um, that even though you might be officially retired, you have st you have been constantly involved in some way um, uh, w with law enforcement. I, I I don't even think you could say you're retired yet. I think you're you're still going. So, um, you mentioned uh, mom. Uh, you know, setting some guidelines uh, at home as far as um, language uh, was that kind of the the biggest thing that would leak through is that uh, you might uh, have been using some saltier language than uh, you normally would, especially with um, uh, new kids around the house. Oh yeah. That that was that was the first one, but uh, the other thing is uh, you know to try to to um, protect you guys from knowing any of this or seeing any of this. That was important to her too, and and to make sure that we had the normal family life and had our grandparents involved. And you know we had uh, since I was getting transferred, uh, going to different places and. And then having, we wanted to make sure that we kept our connection because family means a lot to, to us mm -hmm. and it still does today. So, um, you know, that, that the, the rules were set and, and, you know, I had to make sure that I abided by those. And, not, that and, I, not that I wouldn't want to, <laughs> I never <laughs> wanted to miss any birthdays, but you know, you had to take what the priorities were. Well, right. I mean, and, and it becomes, um, it's one of those things too, where uh, you you have you feel like okay, well, I I I I got to do this for work, and I'll 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 get them on the next one, or I'll, I'll do it this time, and and um, sometimes you have to hold yourself uh, to that, um, or else you just kind of keep kicking the can down the road as far as as that goes. Um, now, in terms of the work-life uh, split, what was the difference um, once 
you started having children and, and I'm trying to um, think of the timeline. Had I been born yet or um, <clears throat> did I come after you started um, doing uh, the undercover work? You were born, I'm trying to, well, it's probably about the same time, right okay. around there is when I was it's just starting in. And of course, uh, you were, you were around when I got shot and, uh, you know, that, and then of course your, your sister came a year later and, and, um, it, that was like that ever since, but I, I did, uh, make a promise, uh, to your mother that, um, when I did get my supervisory job that I would cut down. And I did, I did just very little undercover after that and do things, you know, like being your coaches and being there. And, and I was able to do that. And uh, I kept that promise and that, that made a lot of difference. Now you, you've mentioned about being shot. And we'll stop here and leave off on a bit of a cliffhanger. When we return in our next episode, we hope to have our very first guest. Thanks for listening to this episode of Officer Magazine's Undercover Dad podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find Undercover Dad at Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. And while you're doing that, also check out Officer Magazine's other podcast, Officer Roll Call. Stay safe and see you next time. (laughs) 